Today is a special day for sports fans. It's the Super Bowl. I'm not trying to be a total downer here, but today we're talking about the dark side of football. It's the kind of thing that's making a lot of sports fans uncomfortable, and that is what the long-term effects of playing the game are on the men who play it. You know, a better helmet is not going to help. Better, better pads are not going to help. So there is no solution. Um, you know, football as it's played today, um, it, it can't be made safe. That's up next on Science Island on KACR 96.1 in Alameda. So, Leah, Super Bowl Sunday episode of Science Island today. I've got a question for you. How much football do you watch? Not a heck of a lot. It's not my favorite thing. (laughs) How about you? So, I am at a place where I think a lot of people are. uh, I wouldn't say I'm a former fan, but I find myself watching less and less football and enjoying it less and less. And the reason why is because of what I found out that it's doing to people's brains. Yes. Um, it's been kind of dire news out of, um, out of that field of research, um, where they're finding that so many football players are in fact, are affected by CTE, um, a chronic condition. Um, and I believe it was the New York times that released information recently about the fact that you know out of say roughly 100 players 99 of them have were found to have CTE so it's something that's sort of undeniable now the professional game always seemed really violent and you know having two 300 pound guys run into each other at full steam always seemed like sort of a bad idea but they were professionals it kind of worries me that we have high school, junior high, even elementary school kids like putting on helmets and banging into each other. I know you have two daughters. I have two daughters. Would you let your daughters or your imaginary sons play football? No. Would you? <laughs> no. We're I'm such even, good parents, Grant. <laughs> I know. I even worry about soccer. So this is stuff that isn't, of course, just um, confined to football. Um, It really affects so many people who play sports in general. Um, And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today with author Chip Scarinzi, who wrote a book about all of this and talked to quite a few scientists in his research. The book is called Die Hards, Why Fans Care So Much About Sports. And in the interest of full disclosure, he is my husband, and I am his biggest fan. And he actually <laughs> ended up writing this book because, like, I couldn't really relate to how much he cared about sports. I don't know if you've ever been in that position. <laughs> um, <laughs> Where I, I've sat on the couch uh, trying to get Sarah excited about a sporting event of one kind or another. Yes, I have definitely been in that situation. Yeah, so so he went and researched and reported and wrote this book about that. Um, and then since then has also done quite a bit of research into what sports does to players as well as fans. Um, so I'm excited we're going to get to talk about it on Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, our sacrilegious Super Bowl Sunday show all about CTE. <laughs> 
All right, let's bring him on. Chip Scarinzi, author of Die Hards, thank you so much for joining us on Science Island. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be on. So your book is about fandom of all types. Uh, we're obviously talking on Super Bowl Sunday, and um, I know you've recently talked to the guy who sort of discovered the CTE thing and actually kind of got the NFL on the run. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So, yeah, I, uh, Grant... Thanks for asking. I, I um, spoke recently with Dr. Bennett Amalu, who I want to say about 15 years ago, uh, he discovered what he then called uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It's uh, CTE for short, uh, in the brain of Mike Webster, who played football for the Pittsburgh Steelers for many years. And it's taken that long for for the sports world to kind of wake up to this uh, effect that contact sports has on our, our brains. So um, it was an interesting discussion, and, and it really it it came from a place of looking for a solution. Uh, for the last few years, as Dr. Amalu's research has caught on, and obviously it was, I mean, the book Concussion and uh, the movie Concussion kind of put it on the map in terms of a of a of an issue that needed to be tackled, and I, uh, you know, kind of had the NFL on the run. Uh, and 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 they were kind of trying to diminish his research for for quite some time, um, but what I I noticed is that you know you'd find out that a player a football player uh, died and then they found CT in his brain and then another football player would die and they'd find CT in his brain and and every time that happened there was this outrage in 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 the fan community of like how could this happen we need to stop this et cetera and so forth, but then it just kind of dies down people go back to watching the games. And uh, there wasn't really this focus on solutions. Every now and then you hear about, you know, equipment companies trying to invest and come up with solutions there. Um, but in the end, I just, there, there's, that is not uh, what I learned in, in speaking with Dr. Malu is, you know, a better helmet is not going to help. A better, better pads are not going to help. So, so I was uh, looking into kind of, well, what are these solutions? And um, the, I guess the, the unfortunate thing is, there is no solution. Um, you know, football as it's played today, um, it, it can't be made safe. It, it, they need a, the, the league needs a fundamental overhaul of the rules uh, in order to, fo- for, to make football safe. Um, and, you know, it may be a little bit um, <clears throat> redundant for people who've seen the movie <laughs> Concussion, where Will Smith played Dr. Omalu, correct? Um, but how did he sort of stumble upon it? Did he think like this must be hurting players in a significant way and I'm going to figure it out? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and thanks for the clarification. I, you know, Doc, uh, Mike Webster, if you haven't seen the movie, Mike Webster is this, this superstar player who in his retirement, uh, in the years following his retirement, um, kind of goes off the rails. He's doing physical harm to himself. He's, uh, you know, living in his truck, he's he uh, he he just has a lot of mental instabilities, and then he died. And uh, Dr. Omalu didn't think it was enough that you know how does this this person who is in such good physical condition all of a sudden deteriorate to a degree that he's doing these terrible things to himself and and he's you know just acting crazy over a very short period of time. And so, you know, in autopsies, um, you know, he's, he's, he was looking at the brain. And, 
and on the surface in in looking at that uh, the brain in the usual way in the usual manner um, that it's done it, there wasn't anything to show you know uh, any any problems but then when he was kind of and not to get graphic but cutting into it um, he discovered these tall proteins um, which it was incredibly unusual and and they're the, the proteins when you have CTE they they form in clumps and then over a period of time they just grow and grow and grow all throughout the brain uh, to the point where they're just killing brain cells and and then that then explains the erratic behavior and all of that and now you've seen it in a handful of other players as they you know in the in the years leading to the end there are these signs that sh- that come up that uh, something's not quite right and they've continued to you know Dr. Malu and now there are many many other other individuals who are are studying this kind of thing um, they're they're finding CTE in in quite a few um, athletes and it's not just it's not just football it's it's contact sports um, ice hockey is not you know safe uh, lacrosse is not safe mixed martial arts is not safe uh, it, it goes on and on anywhere any anywhere where a, a player is re- receiving re- repeated blows to the head they're you know at risk of of developing these kind of issues we kind of had this problem with boxing at some point and i don't know if we ever reached a resolution on it we just kind of realized that we were turning our old boxers into vegetables at early ages and the sport has kind of continued unchanged do you think we love sports more than we love people that's a really good question grant you know it's funny i'm dealing with this conundrum myself right now um you know i'm a i'm a lifelong philadelphia eagles fan and um i found it's it's a it's a weird conflict to be dealing with having you know this passion for a team that you followed your entire life i mean i I was a fan in the 80s i worked for the team in the 90s and i i've just um i've been so attached this this team and then now i knowing what i know about the sport i'm seeing my fandom for football kind of wane um, because now every time you see a, a, a big hit, the first thing you think of, or at least the first thing I'm thinking of, is the damage that it's doing in that you know young man's brain. Um, but yet I found myself, you know, NFC Championship game against the Vikings. I'm cheering. I'm getting excited. I'm enthusiastic about what's happening. So that there there's a conflict there, and it's um, it, it's a a natural human instinct to. Um, connect yourself to something and be connected to something there's the nostalgia there there's the the what it does for you as a fan and and that's you know part of in writing diehards i i looked into um the brain and is you know i am a diehard fan is my brain somehow wired differently than somebody else's but in turn what i was learning um i talked to dr sandra chapman who who is a neurologist she she runs a center for brain health down in dallas um she was saying that you know, in the if you're a, a passionate fan, in the instance of a win, uh, and especially in an, in an unexpected win, uh, the um, amygdala releases dopamine into your brain, and now and it feels good and it's exciting, and now your brain is I is associating that moment and that experience, witnessing sport, um, and having a positive experience. It's now I. I it's associating those feelings with that. So now you want it more. It's almost like an addictive quality. The other element of it, the the hormone oxytocin, 
um, is released into the body or, or activated, I should say, um, because you're with people and it's a com- sense of community and, and we are social animals um, and, and that's a big part of it. They call oxytocin the bonding uh, hormone because it's, it's what happens with a mother and a child um, in, in the bonding. Yeah, and I think that's what's so striking about um, sports in particular is the fact that like so many people from so many different cultures really care a lot about it. We have the Olympics coming up soon, um, and it really is kind of this global event where like people really get invested in the stories of the players, um, and so they feel personally like they've won if the U.S. has won or if their home team has won, and that's just sort of fascinating. The other side of this, I guess, Chip, is this is more than just sport. This is a business, and these people have made a lot of money off of putting these people in danger. Do you think the NFL is going to face any kind of like tobacco industry moment out of this? That's an interesting question, and uh, it's do they? I mean, to a to a degree, it's already happening. You're seeing, you know, uh, viewership falling to some degree. Um, you're seeing, you know, enrollment in youth leagues falling to some degree. Uh, there, there already was a settlement um, in in the you know hundreds of millions for players who um, uh, given to players who who were and and their families who were who were dealing with this now. What I take issue with, with that settlement in particular, is that there were clauses in it where they, the NFL, would never have to share how much they knew and when they knew it. Which to me, it's that's that's again, it's hard to grapple with as a fan. That there's this league that clearly, you know, it's um, uh, there. There's something happening there, um, and I, I, I don't, mm-hmm. wouldn't want to speculate. And but, the the NFL employees like neurologists and scientists of its own, correct? My understanding is that they they have done their own research. Now, in speaking with Dr. Amalu, Dr. Amalu doesn't put much credence in, in the research that the NFL has done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the NFL is a business, and that's okay. I mean, that's... In, in speaking with uh, Dr. Amalu, he, he doesn't have anything against the NFL. The NFL is there to make money and to provide a product that people love. And the where the issue truly comes in is when it's when we're talking about young people playing. You know, the the, the men who are playing football today are are grown ups. They're over the age of eighteen. They have the free will to decide what they want to do with their lives and their bodies and and all of that. Now, the league, in my in my opinion, and I'm you know no expert on these things, but um, in my opinion, the league should be doing more. And I mentioned it, I think, earlier in the conversation. There are f- fundamental rule changes that need to happen to fix this problem, you know, because it can't be fixed the way it is today. But where we can make changes is in the youth leagues and changing how those games are played. And in, in speaking with Dr. Malu, he's he mentioned that his recommendation is that no child under the age of 18 should play football. Well, in, in Grant, you asked about implications of all of this and and will the league come under fire if that if there's a groundswell of support for this notion that children shouldn't play it's going to take a very long time but at a certain point the game is going to have to change 
because there won't be enough people playing uh, and, and they'll run into issues in that in that way. So when this news story first came out, it seemed to be about concussions and the NFL has adopted concussion policies. Uh, the NBA and even Major League Baseball have adopted concussion policies. But that's not really what causes CTE, or that's only one element of what causes CTE. Correct? Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you raised that, Grant. Um, this whole connection, there is a connection between CTE or CTE and concussions. There's a connection because how do you get the concussion? It's a blow to the head, some trauma to the head. Um, but the the issue is that it's not just. A, a diagnosed concussion that that is the problem it's these subconcussive blows to the head so on every play in the NFL um, on in many plays in ice hockey lacrosse soccer even um, there are these subconcussive impacts that cause problems and you're taking over the course of a game I don't even want to speculate how many hits but you can imagine it's significant over the course of a season, over the course of a career, and then now you're looking at it, you know, these, these uh, professionals have been playing their entire lives, right? So you, you have people that have been playing since they were five, six, seven years old, um, and of course without tackling at that age, but there's still, you know, children don't have the spatial awareness to know where people are and when, so you're still getting a lot of contact, even if we're talking about eight-year-olds playing Pop Warner football, you know? So, um, yeah, but it is, it is uh, a an accumulation of of impacts over over a period of time and and it doesn't necessarily need to be a diagnosis. And why do you think we're talking about it now? Like medical professionals have probably had a hunch for a while and you know football and sports have been played a certain way for a very long time. Like why is this its moment that we're starting to talk about it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um I mean, we, we, Dr. Malu has been talking about it since 2002, you know, and, and no one was listening for a long time because, um, you know, he was dismissed, um, you know, maybe because uh, he, he wasn't a, you know, a league-sponsored doctor. And he had serious, accu- not even accusations, but serious research um, that would potentially change this the game or, or at least put it at risk. So... Why now? I think you're seeing over this, it's taken 15 years, um, but you're seeing more and more players kind of having a say or at least expressing their own concerns about what's been going on in their body for the last however many years that they've been playing. Um, You're seeing more and more scientists and and doctors and medical professionals kind of corroborating Dr. Amalu's research. Um, I know there are groups that we have access to that I think everybody's kind of turning their attention to it. So one thing I've heard floated is taking away the helmet altogether. And I guess the thought behind this is rugby has lower rates of concussion and these rules with targeting, people tend to use these helmets as weapons. Would that do anything to control this? I mean, if you take away the helmet, you'll have more fractured skulls, um, which is not good. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's an interesting idea. It's just, um, I, you know, I, you're still going to have head to head contact. Um, and, and then you're, you know, the, 
the subconcussive blows, the, the concussions, are causing damage and wreaking havoc over a longer period of time. Um, I think you'll you'd likely find many players would probably take the chance because there are many athletes who play contact sports who, in their seventies and eighties, they're you know they're they're a little beat up, more for wear from from all the contact over years, but they're still sharp and you know it doesn't necessarily affect everybody the exact same way. Um, I think many athletes would take that chance versus dealing with a fractured skull, which would be a very real concern, I think, and especially in a game like football. So, Chip, what are you going to let your daughters play? That's a great question. Um, what will I let them play? Well, I can, I mean, our our six-year-old is playing softball now. Um, I would have thought soccer was fair game. Uh, in speaking with Dr. Malu, I have reservations about soccer. And, and you, you can go to any playground and watch, you know, eight-year-olds run around chasing a soccer ball. They're usually looking straight down at the ball. Um, and then what does that do? That leads to, you know, uh, young people ramming into each other and, and, you know, banging heads. So that isn't entirely safe. Um, yeah. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, there have been links between being a fan and the way that it can actually be addictive to the human body, like our biology. Um, is that why we're holding on to all these things, even after it's proven that it's hurting people? Like, why are we holding on to it, sort yeah, of? That's a good question. You know, and, and I don't want to be entirely negative about sports here. You know, I'm, I'm a diehard sports fan. Um, and... There is a lot of good that comes from from sport. I think you know we as a species enjoy being around people. Uh, we're, we're social creatures. Um, we're community based, um, uh, you know, people. So going to a live sporting event, it isn't even just the you know it, it could be baseball. And there are concussions in, in baseball, and and there are problems there, but um, maybe to a lesser degree. But um, as a fan, part of being attached to that experience is, you know, what I had mentioned before about the flow of dopamine in your brain and, and oxytocin, this attachment, because you're you're surrounded by other people, and it's this it's this community building the same way members of a of a church might get together, and you know you feel like you're part of something. So, you know, you ask why why are we still following along? I think it is because it is um, that sense of belonging, that sense of camaraderie and 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 um uh that you know you get attached to that to that feeling um because you don't see it in very many aspects of life um you know outside of you know what are the the biggest moments of pure joy in your life it's it's you know getting married um it's having children you know and there are probably a few others um out there but then experiencing this moment of, of euphoria in a stadium with 50,000 other people is, it's a, a very surreal experience. Um, and I think, again, once you've, once you've had that, you want it more. And it's, and that is, you know, completely healthy pursuit. And, and in a lot of cases, these games are, you know, perfectly healthy, uh, you know, to, uh, but to, again, to varying degrees when you start talking about the contact sports. And you found in your research that it can affect our hearts. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, the you know 
I was when I was researching for Die Hard, you you want to I want to approach this idea of fandom from many different angles, right? So, is it part of our DNA to be a sports fan? Is it human nature? So with that, you talk to I spoke with um, anthropologists. You know, why do fans riot after winning a game? That seems kind of counterintuitive, but you know, urban sociologists study that. So. Then I was thinking about these impacts on our health as fans. I mean, we've been talking about contact sports and the, the impact of contact sports on, on the health of, of players, but it, is it healthy to be a sports fan? And so Dr. Brian Schwartz, um, he's, a, he's a cardiologist, uh, has done quite a bit of research on this subject um, with one, one of his peers, Dr. Uh, Robert Cloner, in particular. So there was a study done um, looking at the, uh, I think the, the study itself was in 2009. It was looking at the 1980 Super Bowl where the Steelers beat the uh, Los Angeles Rams. And it was interesting. They saw, it was a, a back and forth game, that whole you know roller coaster experience. And in the end, the Steelers beat the, the Rams. What they found in, in the Los Angeles area in the two weeks after that Super Bowl, there was a 15% spike in heart attacks and you know, cardiac arrest in that in that city. Um, and that would actually spike to 27% among women, female fans, or I'm sorry, women in general, um, mm. not necessarily fans. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they, uh, Dr. Cloner had done another study looking at 1984. And so in that, in that Super Bowl, the uh, Los Angeles Raiders at the time, the Raiders were in LA, they won. And so they found uh, that heart attacks, instances of cardiac arrest in LA decreased in the two weeks after the Super Bowl. So in one, one hand, the the team loses, there's a spike in heart attacks. And in another hand, they, they win and, and there's a decrease. And now why is this happening? Um, when we consume sport, uh, it's making us happy. In some instances, it's making us sad in others. And there's a link between depression and heart health. If you already have heart disease or signs of, of developing heart disease, then you're at risk. So um, it's just something to to think about. So I'm going to pretend I don't know the answer to this question. Are you going to be watching the game today, Chip? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely I am. You know, it's, it's funny, Grant. Um, Am, am I going to be watching the game at your house, possibly? I yeah, I, I think you are. Um, we might we might be throwing a football around, um, though you know, in safe, controlled conditions <laughs> with no no tackling. Touch football um, only. Although a, I will a, say, once you're over thirty, there are no <laughs> safe conditions for touch football. That's true. Yeah, I, uh, and it's a conflict that I'm dealing with um, because you know, on one hand, again, this is this team that I've loved for thirty years. And then on the other, there's this, you know, waning fandom for football on the whole. And I thought, okay, the Eagles are in this position, you know, throughout the course of the season, you're following along, they're getting closer and closer. Now they're in this champion, now they're in the Super Bowl. Um, But I still, you know, found myself so excited and so wrapped up in it. And it's because of all of these, you know... It's this this flood of emotion. It's what you you've experienced your whole life, kind of manifesting in this in this moment. And, and at its core, you know, when when plays are executed well, I mean, it it's beautiful. It's I mean, I don't want to be too too romantic about football, but um, it's uh, you know there is something to it, and and it's it's just this balance of 
loving a team and and kind of recoiling at this idea of a sport that's hurting people. Mm-hmm. Chip Scarinzi, author of Die Hards, you can get that on Amazon.com. Thanks so much for coming on, and hopefully we can have you on again when baseball season starts up. That sounds great. I'd love to talk baseball. That's it for Science Island. KACR 96.1 in Alameda. You can find us online on our SoundCloud page or on our Twitter account, Sci Island. We'll see you next week with another episode.